Well, good morning again. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Our passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 12, we will start in verse 22 and finish out the chapter this morning. Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Let's read that as we begin this morning. The word of the Lord says this. Then a demon-possessed, demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, that is Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if by the Spirit of God, it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell people, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either... Make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. 
Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Uh, College football is upon us. I don't know if you're a college football fan. I am. It was a great day yesterday. I know LSU lost, but I'm not from here, so it doesn't bother me that much. But Texas Tech won. OU lost and Texas lost. That was a great day. But in in the world of football, especially in high school, there's this uh, recruiting scale. There goes all the way from one star up to five stars, and they, they calculate it based off Well, it depends who you ask, but the five stars are the ones who are can't-miss prospects who are supposed to be able to go on to the pros, right? They're the sure prospects who will get drafted probably really high in the NFL, and they'll go on and play. Four-star, probably going to the NFL. Maybe not, you know, the star, but they'll they'll have a good career. High school players who are three-star, they'll be decent players and two-star and so on, and it goes on down the list. Well... When you evaluate, you ask different scouts from colleges or the NFL about a single player, oftentimes they'll have different opinions about that player, right? One will evaluate their skills and one will say, well, that's a five stars, can't miss prospects. He's going to be great. He's going to be the greatest ever. And another person will say, "Eh, he's okay, but I think he's really missing some of the the arm mechanics. He's not really that accurate. I'd put him more at a three to four star, right? So there are these differing opinions, and really the success of a team in the NFL is based on their ability to evaluate those players correctly, right? It can mess up a, a team for years if they don't draft well and evaluate well. Well, we see that is the case not just in sports, not just in uh, the NFL, but evaluating things correctly applies to a lot of areas in life. And we see this morning as we read the passage that there are really these two evaluations going on about Jesus, and they're, they're really complete opposites. And so as we see these evaluations, we see really two different opinions and two different responses to Jesus. We see in our passage that the the event that starts it all is that Jesus heals this demon oppressed man. He can't hear, he can't speak, or he can't speak, he can't see. He's and then Jesus heals him so that he can see, he can speak. And the people were amazed. And this led to these two evaluations, right? One group, the crowds were amazed. They said, This is the son of David. This is who this is. And we've seen this title come up in Matthew, the son of David. Jesus is the one who was the coming king, the son, the eternal king who would 
make all things right. He would bring in the kingdom of God. He was the, the Messiah. That's what this title speaks of. You can almost hear the crowd's excitement as they start to wonder, is this, can this be him, the son of David? Right? They have this evaluation. And then here come the Pharisees, just wanting to pour cold water on the fire. And they say, no, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So they have the complete opposite response, right? The complete opposite evaluation of Jesus. He's not the son of God, the son of David. Instead, they say he's the son of Satan. And he's doing this by the power of Satan. And Jesus responds to them. And that's really what we see throughout the rest of this chapter is Jesus' response, both in telling them how they should think about him, how they should actually evaluate Jesus. But then he also turns their attention to evaluating themselves. And so he starts by saying, how can it be that this is the power of Satan if it's used against Satan, right? He makes this famous statement, a house divided against itself will not stand, right? If you're in sports, again, a sports analogy, if you score on the wrong goal, you're probably not going to win the game. Or if you, if you keep running the wrong way in a race, you don't follow the course, well, you're, you're never going to finish, right? If you are in a, a battle, in a war, if you have, keep sabotaging yourself, if there's friendly fire, you're, you're never going to be successful, right? Jesus, this is, he just states this simple truth that a, a house divided cannot Stand, And we are familiar with this phrase. It's hard to hear this phrase and not think about our country, not think about that famous speech that Abraham Lincoln gave about a house divided against itself will not stand. He gave that speech as he accepted the Republican nomination in 1858 which was right before the Civil War. And so you can think even in that context of the turmoil, the division that was happening and how he spoke those words in that context. And we know that today we are still the United States of America, and yet it came through much death and destruction because of the division that existed. Right? We know that Failure and demise comes when division comes. This applies to nations. We've seen it happen with cities or towns. It happens in marriages. It happens in churches. Whenever there is division, it will not last. Division leads to destruction. When people are divided and there's this biting and devouring, as the Bible terms it, eventually people are torn down and there's nothing left. And so Jesus speaks about this unity that must exist for something to hold together, right? And he's, we could, we could really think about unity in general and what the Bible says. There's, there's this commonality that exists in order to be unified, right? You have to have something in common and you know, you could talk about people who are unified in the world, who are unified about different things, interests, clubs, organizations. But ultimately, as Christians, we know what unifies us is that we have the same Savior. 
that Jesus has united us together because we believe in him. We're a part of the same family. And so that's why really division and strife is so unfitting for those in the church because it goes against everything that Jesus came to do. His church was not meant to be divided, but united. And so Jesus makes this point that a house divided will not stand. And really, if you think about the context in which he's saying it, the point that Jesus is making here is that Satan is not an idiot. Satan is not going to be fighting against himself. Satan has a plan. He's trying to steal the glory from God to to upend God's plan to oppose the Son of God, why would he be fighting against himself? Jesus says it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. right? And so it should be crystal clear that what Jesus is doing is not from Satan, but is actually the power of God. That's what Jesus is saying. It should be easy to evaluate this. And if this is the work of God, then Jesus kind of gives us a few implications through these illustrations, right? He says, one, the kingdom of God has come. We see that in verse 28. If this is the power of God at work in Jesus, then it means his kingdom is here. He's the king. He's bringing the kingdom. And we must respond in the, the right way to him as Lord, as king, surrendering our life to him. It's the second implication would be that God is more powerful than Satan, right? He gives this illustration about binding the strong man. Satan is strong. In the scriptures, he's described as this roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. And yet, this is not like the, the Greek demigods where they were equal and fighting against each other, and you didn't really know till the end of the story who was going to win. No, this was God, the Son of God, who has all power, overpowering Satan and casting out this demon, right? He has more power than all the evil powers in the world. There is nothing that Satan does that he's not simply allowed to do by God. He's not a rogue demon. God has him on a leash, as it were. And so that is one implication, the second implication. And finally, the third implication that Jesus points out is, now, if this is by the power of God, if I'm the, the coming king, then it means that there are clear dividing lines now about who is on whose side. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. The king has come. There are clear lines. Which line are, which side of the line are you on? That's what Jesus is saying here. So he's showing us how to evaluate. And he, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's really turning it back on them. He's saying, you're evaluating me. Well, you're doing it poorly, but really you should be evaluating yourself. Where are you at? And he, he says these really four evaluators about how we should know whether we are with God or against God. The first thing he says is this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but when the Bible 
says that there is a sin that is unforgivable, I mean, it makes me want to pay attention to that. What does this mean? How do I avoid this? What is this talking about? Jesus is saying, really, this is how you know. If you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you're not on the side of God. You're against him, right? And so Jesus is saying, think about what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We read that in John. And when we are like the Pharisees and we reject that witness of the Holy Spirit, we, in other words, we see the truth and the justice of God and we say, no, that's not right. That's wrong. When we reject the conviction that the Spirit brings and we say, no, I'm going to continue on doing what I'm doing, then that is a rejection of the truth, a rejection of the Holy Spirit. It is it's really blasphemy. That's what Jesus is saying here. To reject the witness of the Spirit is, is basically to call the Spirit a liar. That he's not speaking truly to us. And the Pharisees are rejecting this witness in this section. And so Jesus speaks of this blasphemy against the spirit he says if you are rejecting the spirit then you're not on my side and if you're rejecting the spirit then you won't be forgiven people who reject the spirit reject me and reject god and you will not be forgiven on the last day if that is where your heart is at and so it's a warning to us to not reject god to not feel that conviction and continue on in our sin because that leads to callousness and coldness. And if we're not careful, it leads to blasphemy against the Spirit. Calling the Spirit a liar. And we must not do that. That is not what Christians do. And the second evaluator Jesus gives is this tree that is known by its fruits. Right. So the simple illustration here in verses 33 through 37 is this. How do you know if an orange tree is an orange tree? Right? You might, uh, you might read a book and study, well, this is what the leaves look like. This is kind of how big it gets and what it, uh, the general look of it is like, right? It's not like an oak tree, so we can kind of guess. Well, you know, the easiest way to tell if an orange tree is an orange tree is just wait till it grows fruit, and then you can tell if it's an orange tree. Right. Uh, sometimes we don't need to overcomplicate things. Not all of us need to be experts to be able to figure that out. Right. We can just look and see, oh, that has oranges. It's an orange tree. Well, Jesus is saying in the same way, you can tell what kind of person someone is by observing the fruit of their lives. Specifically, Jesus here is narrowing in on the words we say. Right. He's not just talking about fruit in general, but he says the words we say are this fruit. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth this good speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the fruit that Jesus is pointing to is the words we say. Sometimes people are good at hiding what's in their heart, but eventually, if you're around someone long enough, you will see the season of their life of their words that reveals what they are really like. You'll see a consistent pattern. 
right? And Jesus is pointing us to that here. He's saying, if you watch someone for their whole season of life, so to speak, then you can see what their heart is like. And as a reminder to us, this almost a haunting phrase, we will give an account for every careless word that we speak. And so we must be careful what we say. There are no words that are unimportant to God. Right? There's not a single word we say that doesn't matter in his eyes. And so when we speak, we are really showing what's in our heart. And if we are Christians, we must be sure to, to root out any, any coarse speech, any impure speech, any uh, demeaning and unloving speech, because it shows that we have not yet been fully cleansed of sin. And yet here Jesus also says that those who consistently speak in this way are not mine. They do not bear good fruit. They're, they have a heart that is evil, that doesn't know me. And so Jesus gives this second evaluator. He gives a, he gives a third one. He talks about this evil generation, right? The Pharisees, they... It's almost like they're kind of listening to Jesus. They hear him say that a tree is known by its fruit, and so they ask for a sign. Jesus, do something amazing, and we'll believe in you. We'll understand that this is who you are by the fruit of your life, this amazing sign. But Jesus says no. He says he's not going to give them this sign. He's, I mean, he's already given them signs. They haven't really been paying attention to those. But he says, I will give you only one sign, and that's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Right? Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's, it's Jesus foretelling what his death and resurrection would look like. When you see this happen, remember what I said. Remember that what I'm saying is true. And who I am is true. I truly am the Lord, the coming King. When you see this sign, you will know who I am. When you see my death and resurrection, believe that I am the coming Lord of the universe. And Jesus is saying, remember this evaluation. But remember yourself because the person who seeks this sign, who's not believing of what's given to them, but always wants one more sign, always wants to see something else, is, is really an unrepentant heart. That's what Jesus tells them. He's not going to show them a sign because they're not repentant. It's not like they're asking a question and they really want to know. They, they don't want to follow God. They have not repented. They have not turned to him. And so they keep questioning him. And Jesus says that, this is, this is the state of their hearts. He, he tells this parable, right? Well, first he talks about how Solomon, people came to hear Solomon and they, they, they believed him. The queen of the south heard what he said and she believed it and went back home. We saw in, uh, in the last chapter, Jesus had talked about the, the unrepentant cities. Right And the Pharisees, he had condemned them and said, your punishment will be worse than these unrepentant places, Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. 
Here he's giving these examples of people who were repentant, those who did listen, who did follow after these good examples. We see Solomon, we see the city of Nineveh who repented when Jonah preached to them. Right? Jesus is saying, you are not repenting like they did, even though you see a greater sign, even though you hear a greater message than Jonah preached. I am here. I am the greater wisdom than Solomon. I am the greater gospel and good news than Jonah spoke. And yet, you do not repent. And so why do you need a sign? I am right here in front of you. Jesus says it's like, he gives this really almost strange example in verses 43 through 45. It's kind of hard to understand, why, well, why is he saying this here, this unclean spirit that goes out? But really, this is the example of the Pharisees. This is the example of this evil generation who's unrepentant. So here's the story, right? The, the unclean spirit goes out of the house and gives this illustration, and then it wanders around. Well, the house is cleaned up and put together. It's kind of like when someone moves out of a house and you either sell it or you get it ready to rent to the next person, right? You have to clean it up, right? You get it all, you maybe put new paint on it, you you make sure all the trash is taken out, you make it look nice, right, for the next person. And they come and they see it and they walk in and say, this is it. This is the house I want to buy or this is the house that I want to live in and rent and this is where I want to live, right? Well, these demons, they thought the same thing. They saw this house that was cleaned up and put together and they just thought, well, this was a good place before. I'm going to move in and I'm going to bring more with me. And so the state of this person is worse than it was in the beginning. And so Jesus is really telling us, he's really condemning the Pharisees here. He's saying, listen, this is what you are like. Just because your life looks put together and looks clean doesn't mean you're following me. It doesn't mean you're on my side. Again, remember, this is evaluating ourselves. Are we on the side of God or not? Just because our life is put together and looks good doesn't mean we're on the side of God. The problem with this illustration is not that the house was clean. It was that when the the evil, the unclean spirit moved out, nothing else moved in. Right? It's not enough to get rid of some bad habits and clean our life up, it has to also be replaced with the Spirit of God. When the unclean spirit went out, it needed to be filled with the Spirit of God. But that did not happen in this example. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you can do all these good works in trying to follow God, but unless you are filled with my Spirit, you do not know God, and the end is going to be worse than the beginning, even though it looks put together. And so Jesus gives us this evaluation of how to tell, do we know him? Are we filled with his spirit? Is our life not just swept and put together, but being filled with the fruits of the spirit, this goodness and righteousness that comes through him? And then finally, we see this last evaluator doing the will of the father. How do we know if we are for God or against God? Do we do the will of the Father? Jesus' family, his earthly, physical family relationships come to him, and they, they want to, to see him. And Jesus just uses this as a teaching 
as a teaching example, right? He tells them that he makes very clear that what gets you into the kingdom, what makes you a part of the family of God is not being part of the right family. It's not being around people who believe or who do the right things, but it's something that we must do ourselves. We must believe and we must do the will of the Father. If we don't, then it shows that we have probably not committed our lives to him as Lord. It's not that these obedient works save us, but they do show what's going on in our hearts. Just like the words we say show what's in our hearts and what's happened to us, so the things we do show what has happened to us in our hearts. And so Jesus again emphasizes my family, the part, the people who are part of the family of God are those who do my will, who obey my Father in heaven. As the Pharisees were evaluating Jesus, Jesus spoke these truths and he, he told them really that they needed to be evaluating themselves. They misunderstood themselves. They misunderstood what they needed. And so they they really were never going to get to the right understanding of Jesus. And so if we do not rightly evaluate where we are at, it's hard to really know what we need and what Jesus is like. And so as we think about responding this morning or this coming week, it's worth it to spend some time evaluating where are we at in our lives you look at your life and you see that you don't really know Jesus, but you want to, then this morning is the time to start that conversation, to ask someone about it. Or if you see that there's this area in my life where I need to improve, then make that a point this week to, to pray and ask God for grace to live out his will more. And if you look at your life there are many ways we can be thankful for what God has done in our lives. We're, we're in this season of thanksgiving. We can give thanks that we're not like we used to be, that God has changed our hearts and he has visibly, tangibly changed the things we say and the things we do. That's the work of God in us. And that's a reason for thanksgiving. But however the Lord is leading you to respond, respond to him this morning. Let's pray as we move on to a time of response this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word, that you teach us who you are, and you teach us how we can know what you are like, but you also turn the mirror to us, and you show us what we are like, what we're prone to be like, and what we need to be aware of in our own lives. May we seek to be filled more with your spirit, to live out your fruits of the spirit, to do the will of the Father, to be blameless in the things we say and speaking the truth in love. And may we bear these fruits, these good fruits in our lives. Lord, may we be honest in looking at our life where we need your grace, where we need your forgiveness, remembering that you are gracious to us. You call us to come to you, to receive rest, to receive grace, to receive mercy. And that we can do that when we see that we are not where we need to be in life. 
God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we have a time of response?